Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Portland Film Review on our limited series, MCU in Review. This is Devin, and I'm here with Teddy, and we are excited to delve into our next episode. But before we get into that, a little bit of housekeeping, just out at the top. Teddy and I talked, and we've decided that we're going to adjust our recording schedule a little because our initial plan was to cover every Marvel movie before Black Widow came out. And then we realized that we would rather take our time and enjoy each episode than try and pump them out because we also have other things going on in our lives. And so the conclusion we've come to is that because Black Widow is supposed to be set right after Captain America Civil War, we are going to get up to Captain America Civil War before Black Widow comes out, and then we will cover Black Widow. But specifically in that episode, we will consider it in the context of every Marvel movie, even those we haven't covered yet. So for people who are following along and watching the movies maybe for the first time as they're listening to this, just know then that when the Black Widow episode comes out, it will be rife with spoilers for everything. So we would suggest waiting to listen to it until you've watched all the other stuff. But for people who have seen everything and are just following along to listen to us, we thank you and also feel free to listen to that one right off the bat. So with that out of the way, the second little bit of housekeeping is that this episode is going to function a little differently because this episode is about Marvel's 2012 The Avengers, which is a huge movie in every sense of the word. And because of that, we realized that our categories wouldn't necessarily hold it. So we're going to shift things up and be a little more free range in talking about the Avengers. And with that out of the way, now that I've droned on Teddy, we've made it to the first big team up. How do you feel? I am so happy. As I have told you and everyone else who I talk to on basically a daily basis, the Avengers, the first one, holds such a special place in my heart. So I am just very happy to be talking about it. It is. It's a really special movie. Um, and I'll get to this later, but probably, arguably, one of the most impactful and influential movies of the 21st century in a lot of ways, which I'll get on my uh, box office film nerd horse at some point. But before we get into the content of the movie, some quick facts to uh, kind of give you a sense of the scope. So this movie was released on May 4th, 2012. Um, which is wild, actually, that this was almost nine years ago. Well, a little more than nine years ago, now that we're into May. But the budget was $220 million. You want to take a guess at the opening weekend? Um, I would guess maybe $200 million? Close. It was $207 million, which placed it at the time at the highest opening weekend ever for any film in the U.S. And it currently sits at sixth all time, not adjusted for inflation, but we won't get into that. Its total domestic haul was $623 million, which places it now at eighth all time, which is just wild. Also assuming that there are only Star Wars or Marvel movies really above it, apart from Avatar, which is its own beast. And total worldwide this movie made 1.5 billion dollars which was a huge step up from the origin story movies 
but very quickly became de rigueur for the Marvel movies and crossing the billion mark. It's really just what we expect at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of crazy to look back and think about how this at the time was, I think, only the 12th movie ever to cross the billion dollar mark, including adjustments for inflation all over the world. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, when we look at the box office, then it was a little different (laughs) Mm -hmm. in terms of how things happened. But I mean, that number was driven by this idea of people going back and rewatching, right? You don't get to a number like 1.5 billion just from people going once. Um, You get respectable numbers, but you don't get jaw-dropping numbers that way. And to hammer it home even more, at this, at its release, this movie set 22 box office records, including opening weekend for any film, opening week for any film, theater average, second weekend for any film, Uh, My personal favorite is that in the month of May in 2012, the Avengers made up 52% of all ticket sales in the U.S., which is just dominance Yeah, (laughs) all over. And it's crazy to think about that level of dominance when we've talked about how much of the Marvel project early on was unsure. We didn't know what was going to happen. But the Avengers came along and really solidified this. Yeah, this is a behemoth. This is going Mm -hmm. to make money. And it was well-received, critically. Um, We don't talk about Rotten Tomatoes on this show because Rotten Tomatoes is bullshit. And you can quote (laughs) me on that. But Metacritic, which is an aggregator of critical reviews across the web, um, set this movie at a respectable 69 out of 100. (laughs) and it's really beloved beyond the critical community it is just a very rewatchable movie and one that is kind of a comfort food I think as we've talked Mm -hmm. about especially enough about the money and the box office I want to talk about our feelings and experiences seeing it for the first time and how we engage with it so what was your level of anticipation coming into Avengers? What was your experience of it the first time? It's funny because now that I'm thinking about it, I don't even really remember the first time I watched it. It was just kind of, I think because it was just right in the middle of my whole downpour of like every night watching a different Marvel movie. But I do know that I have rewatched it many, many times. And fun fact, actually had my whole family watch it on my birthday this past February because that's how much I love it. Um, And it's definitely, I think it has one of the scenes that I go back to literally every single time I need a boost of serotonin. It's the scene, it's the, the first scene where you see all of the Avengers together when they're in New York and, you know, Hulk is growling and they're just doing their thing and... The amount of serotonin that I get from that, like, five seconds is ridiculous. And every time just makes me smile so, so much. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I think I, I do, if I remember correctly, I do think it was the first movie where I was like, oh, wow, like, I'm so hooked. Like, this is it. I am going to only watch, like, the Marvel movies until I'm finished. So I do think it was the first movie where I was like, 
yes, this is, this is what I want. I am, this is it. So. So the difference for me, right, is that I saw this movie in theaters. I don't think I saw it opening night, but I definitely saw it opening weekend. So I contributed to that insane opening weekend. <laughs> um, and then I also went back and I saw it <laughs> seven times in theaters, maybe eight times. And I believe every time at the Saco Cinemagic, RIP, <laughs> gone but not forgotten. Um, and I just went with friends and groups of friends. I went with my family. I went with my brother. It was just this thing that, you know, the first two or three times was because were because I wanted to watch it again. And after that, it was just this communal experience. The thing that I love about theaters of like, you show up, you take over a row with nine or 10 friends and just experience it on a gigantic screen. Nine or 10 friends? What? Well, you go, you see movies in a very different way than I do. Oh, yes. Usually it's just me and my mom and she has to like drag me there. <laughs> Well, I mean, I have friends, Teddy. I don't know what, what to tell you. It's a, it's a hard yeah, life. It's fair. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, no, but it, you know, it, in a lot of ways, I think it's interesting for me how this movie is about teaming up. And then it was, for me, such a communal experience. It was a thing that really announced, hey, Marvel is here to stay. And this is a thing that you're going to continue to experience. And... It's just, it was such a thrilling thing to see in a theater. And we're going to talk so much about the movie and what happens in the movie, but there are so many moments like the one you're talking about when they're finally assembled all together in that shot or when they're mm -hmm. really just so many moments that you get the chance to hear people cheer in a theater and just listen to people mm -hmm. laugh and the, <gasps> everything that goes on it's it's incredible and something i miss something i can't wait to get back to um but the avengers for me as a what how old was i in 2012 i was 17 and there have been a lot of movies that have been really important in theaters other moments i point to as far as ones that stick with me but the avengers really is a part of that list of things that are like yeah this is why theatrical movie going is so perfect and so important um, because yeah, it's fun to rewatch it for me in my room on my TV, but it's not the same as seeing, you know, Tony Stark's face 15 feet tall. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a special thing. Um, yeah. And the Avengers just, who it announced a new era of franchise filmmaking that in a lot of ways is unfortunate in terms of what it has led to for other franchises just taking over in terms of pushing other movies out. But at the same time, I love all the Marvel stuff we've gotten. So it's that double-edged sword of being really happy and also being like, ah, I wish people didn't try and do this all the time. We don't need 30 shared universes, but that's okay. We're here to be happy about the Avengers. <laughs> so as promised, we're going to do this a little differently. And in terms of our first quote unquote category today, we're gonna to use it as a way to kind of check in with each of the Avengers and a couple side characters by ranking their entrances into the movie, right? Because this is a team up movie. And so you're waiting the whole time 
for people to show up and you want to see what happens and you want to see who's there. And then we'll move on to talk more about the story, the filmmaking and everything that comes after those entrances. But Teddy suggested this idea and I love it because I think that it allows us to touch on everyone and then move from there. So enough jabber jabber for me. Here we're going to go into our first category and really our only category today. <laughs> We've already had some contention off screen about how some of these rankings will be classified, but we're going to roll with it. And what we're going to do is go six to one or seven to one, depending on how you're choosing to rank things. If you're doing it correctly, <laughs> like me, or I'm the one who thought of it, so <laughs> you're wrong. This is true. So, what we're ranking are the Avengers entrances and Loki's entrance. So, those seven. I made a little combo trick that I'll get to when we are there. And we're going to go through 7 to 1 or 6 to 1. And as we get through the list, right, we're all be talking about the same things. So we will talk about each entrance the first time it gets brought up. And we'll just flag up where it falls on our list. So, like, if Teddy says one at number 4, that's my number 2. We'll talk about it at the same time. So, Teddy... I throw to you first, what's your number six? Seven, whatever. Seven, thank you. So my number seven is Clint because he's just kind of there. Like, it's just like, oh, Fury's like, oh, where's Hawkeye? And then he's just up being a little creep up in his little corner. You know, in his just nest? Kind of staring in his nest. Yes, thank you. Just staring down at everyone. And uh, then he talks to Fury and that's kind of really it. So as far as... The other entrances go. This one's pretty anticlimactic and not that exciting, I personally think. It's a tough look in terms of first moments across the Marvel Universe for Clint. Um, we talked in the Thor pod about his just kind of tacked on nature in that mm -hmm. movie as his first official entrance. And this one doesn't exactly uh, help <laughs> that. Um, I it's will... kind of the same thing, almost. Yeah. It's very true. It it seems like they were like, ah, oh, we'll do this again. But then they did it just as poorly as they did the first time. So no win there. Um, this is at my number four because of how I combine things. So I will hold off talking about it. But I do agree with you on the specifics of the Clint. But then my number six, and I thought hard about this, is Tony. Really? Yeah. And Huh. It's not because I don't like his entrance. It's mm -hmm. only because for me, his entrance is made less because of what he does and more because of Pepper and Coulson mm -hmm. being in that scene. Yeah. You know, like the, I don't like to be handed things, he says, and then, you know, the, uh, he doesn't like to be handed things, but I love it. We need you to look this over as soon as possible. I don't like being handed That's things. That's because I love to be handed things, so let's trade. You. That scene is an incredible scene, and I love that scene. But I love it because of, of Coulson and Pepper and the things they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it just kind of feels to me 
like it could have been a scene that was cut out of Iron Man 2 or Iron Man that was just kind of along the vibe. And I don't say that in a bad thing because I think that it would have been a really good scene in either of those movies. Mm -hmm. But for me, most of the other entrances have a little more oomph to them. And this felt Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. solid, really good, but didn't really surprise me from Tony. But based on your facial reactions, I'm assuming you have it ranked much higher. So where do you have it on your list? So I have it at four. um, So right in the middle. Um, And I have it, I think, that high because the whole, just Pepper and Tony in that scene, it's like peak chemistry. Like that is, it's just so fun to watch them. And also then you see Coulson. That's kind of, you know, Coulson's introduction too. Um, and so, well, it's not Colson's introduction, but you know, um, yeah. So I just really, I just really love the, the Pepper and Tony, you know, aspect of it. And I thought, and I also really like seeing how his um, Iron Man suit has transformed into this cool kind of the way that it just kind of comes off of him as he walks. I thought that was very, very cool. Um, so that's why it's higher up for me. So with that first little bone of contention, what is your number five? So my number six. All right. Oh, God. Okay. So my number six is Bruce, actually. Mainly just because, again, it's not that exciting, um, at, at least compared to the other, um, you know, introductions. Uh, you know, he kind of is just running around. I forget what city it is. Um, and, you know, he's trying to hide and all that stuff. And I feel like the only reason it's good is because black widow is in it and black widow and his chemistry are you know is pretty pretty there you know for a man who's supposed to be avoiding stress you picked a hell of a place to settle avoiding stress isn't the secret and what is it yoga um but other than that it's just kind of i don't know it's it's not it for me and i love bruce but it's not it for me so in, in a flip-flop, Bruce's entrance is my number two. Wow. <laughs> we really disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think what's interesting for me here is, right, this is Mark Ruffalo's first moment in the MCU after he swaps in, after Edward Norton plays Hulk in the, uh, the movie that shall not be named <laughs> on this podcast. And... Part of it is because I love Mark Ruffalo so much. And as we talked about in the Iron Man 2 pod, when Don Cheadle shows up, I have a great appreciation for a movie that can pull off a recasting in an incredibly smooth way. And so I think that's part of the high ranking for me is just Mark Ruffalo showed up and I was like, yeah, okay, so he's Bruce Banner. I totally buy it, Um, which I give a lot of credit to him for. And Mm -hmm. especially just looking back on it, and especially thinking throughout the movies where we don't get a ton of Bruce in contrast to the other Avengers a lot of the time, just because Hulk doesn't get to have his own movie because of rights disagreements. Um, That this kind of ebb and flow between the way he holds his body, where you can tell there's just kind of this nervousness to it, to when he kind of explodes and Black Widow pulls the gun and he Mm -hmm. has this, 
One of my favorite Bruce Vander moments is the very wry smile he gives right after Natasha pulls the gun. And it's just this like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you're mm-hmm. terrified. And I just wanted to see it happen. Um, and so even, I mean, the Natasha Bruce immediate chemistry, I think is a big part of it. But even without that, just the way that Ruffalo inhabits Bruce so immediately puts it really high on my list because of that. Um, if he had existed in other movies before, I probably would agree with you more that it isn't as exceptional. Um, but in terms of level of difficulty of being like, hey, we're here now, uh, it gains a lot of ground for me. Yeah, that's fair. I guess, yeah, it's just, I think he has way better scenes than the rest of the movie. So I think I was also just comparing it to the other great scenes he's in, um, which is why, again, it's not my top. Yeah. (laughs) I accept that. (laughs) Okay, what's next? So I'm at five. um, And that would be Thor's entrance. (laughs) Where's the Tesseract? I missed you too. Do I look to be in a gaming mood? The reason that he's, you know, again, kind of in the middle, not really up in my top three is because... It's a really great entrance for Thor, but it's kind of, I feel like the scene gets taken, kind of stolen by Tony and by Steve. Um, and like the whole, all the lightning and stuff is great. And then his whole little bit with Loki back and forth is also great. But again, it's kind of just looking at him, like Thor himself. It's really not that special. And again, I feel like he has better scenes in the movie um that are you know better just kind of show who his character is well in the first moment here of us agreeing i also have thor at five um look at us for really those same reasons um it for me stands out the same way that i have tony ranked lower because that one stands out to me more because of pepper and phil that Mm-hmm. Right, it is a great Chris Hemsworth entrance, um, but the most memorable parts of the scene for me are because of other actors, and I only have Tony and Thor flip flopped because Chris Hemsworth still holds his own <laughs> in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most memorable part of it for me, well, the two most memorable parts are when Loki is asked, you know, what you don't like lightning and he says i'm not too fond of what comes after it mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. never mind the logic after thunder comes before lightning when we say thunder and lightning but whatever <laughs> the better part for me is when tony is there and then you know he goes it's shakespeare in the park doth mother know you weareth her drapes like you're saying it is the most iconic moment in the scene and yeah Chris Hemsworth has this nice petulant, I am a god amongst you humans. Um, Mm -hmm. And he does that really well, but he can't compete at the end of the day with Robert Downey Jr. bringing 10,000% of charm and wit. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it stays at five. And there are so many great Thor scenes of this movie. This one is a great scene, not because of Thor. Yeah, it's such a quotable scene, and none of the quotes are by Thor, I would say. Um, all right, so what do you have at a... So you then have Tony, 
Right. So it's six is Tony, five is Thor. <laughs> right. Okay. And then we get to my apparently contentious grouping, which is that at four, I have the combo of Fury, Clint, and Loki. And really? Yeah, I've chosen to combine them because that opening scene for me is such an immediate cascade of introductions that mm -hmm. in my mind, it's hard to separate them because it's like, okay, Fury's there and Sam Jackson really elevates the scene because he's, he has such a badass entrance and he's just there. And then we have Clint really drops it and you're like, oh, you really dropped the ball here, which drags down Fury's first scene. And then Loki comes in, and Loki's entrance is iconic and great. Um, I don't love it as much as you do, but that's okay. <laughs> we'll talk about it in a minute. Um, but I, I think for me, it's just that that it's an incredible opening sequence in terms of propulsion and putting forward momentum into it. Like you're right in the crisis, and it's just. The Tesseract is there and it's freaking out and the stakes are set immediately. Um, but as far as introductions go, I have it in the middle here for me because it just misses out on the top three spot because I think that if we had gotten... I think if Loki had gotten a moment where we see him with... Obviously, we don't see Thanos until the after credit scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But have we gotten him properly in space doing some Loki stuff more intently before? I think I would have been more excited about it, which is just a taste thing. Um, but if it if it's just Fury and we don't get Clint being all boring again, I probably have it higher. But I know it's controversial for you. So where, where do you have? Because uh, you've talked about Clint. Where do you have Loki? So, first of all, you failed to mention the Queen Maria Hill, which, you know, that's just rude because she is fair, amazing. Fair. And her just, like, coming on and just, like, completely owning it and showing, like, hey, I'm not Nick Fury, but I basically am, so you better listen to me. She's great. Whole nother. She's on her whole other level. But, I, okay. So, Loki is actually number one for me. Wow. <laughs> Be wow. Yeah. Because, because Tom Hiddleston's acting in that moment is just so good. Like, you can just tell, like, Loki just looks so crazy. He looks so, like, just disheveled and, like, like he's been, like, through hell. And also, like, the first look that Tom Hiddleston gives, which is that, like, kind of, like, looking down like his head's down but he's looking up through his eyes and he has this like little sly like oh yes like i'm here smile just is so good and i just i i really attribute it to tom hiddleston because his whole physical like his whole physical presence is just amazing um and I, you know i love loki too but <laughs> besides yes, that we, uh, we remember that you would it's just kill steve <laughs> To get Loki, but hey, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, but yeah, I just that's will forever be like a very memorable scene to me. So we're yeah, so it's fine. We disagree. It's whatever. Yeah, I might be shadowed by the fact that 
I can never get over how Hiddleston's acting in that scene feels to me a little like he's doing an Anthony Hopkins impression from Clans of the Lambs because of the tilt and the eyes up, which is probably unfair of me, but it just got lodged in my brain at some point and I can't shake it loose. So no shade at Tom Hiddleston, who I think is an incredible actor. The scene just doesn't do it for me as much as it does it for you. So okay. whatever. <laughs> um, before we start fighting again, where are you next? <laughs> um, the fact that you have different numbering just confuses me. So we've done Clint, we've done Bruce, we've done Thor, we've done Tony. So then my number three is Steve. Also and... my number three. Hey, okay, so we don't totally disagree. Um, but he's my number three just because while we've already seen that scene, you know, in the uh, post-credit scenes, I just love it so much because, well, A, because of, you know, Chris Evans' muscles, but B, because it's a, it's, you, it's so, that, like, kind of scene of Steve is so different than all of, the first movie I would say because I feel like in this first movie he's so optimistic and he has this kind of like I guess yeah optimism about him and in this scene you can just see he's so kind of defeated and he's just really trying to figure his shit out and he's just angry for good reason um and so I just think it's a really good introduction to this like post ice Steve um so and also, you know, muscles, but, and that shirt, Ooh, so tight. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree for, ahead of ourselves. Fine. for really all of those reasons. I mean, I think it, <laughs> I love the sequence because it communicates so much just through the imagery and through the shots that Whedon and company choose because, I don't know, I, I think that a lot of these scenes are very talky scenes. You're really focused on getting a lot through in dialogue, which is fun when it's quippy, which works well. But there is something raw and pure about him just beating the shit out of a punching bag. cuts to obviously what he's thinking about I think it's you know it it doesn't reinvent the wheel but I think it's effective and um, that leading into Fury showing up and then their exchange the Fury Steve dynamic is one of my favorite kind of like secondary dynamics in the universe because it is this you know Fury is obviously in awe of him in some ways um, and he shows a deferential approach to Steve that he really doesn't show to anyone else <laughs> in the really in the Marvel universe and that kind of immediate respect and rapport that they have is fascinating to me and it gets even more fascinating in Winter Soldier which we'll get to but I love the breadcrumbs here from it and for me that kind of mm -hmm. two part of the scene works even without Fury showing up in terms of getting into Steve's mindset but Fury mm -hmm. showing up just takes it to a great level. And yeah. I only have it below Bruce because of the 
the recasting bit to come in. Um, but I think if it wasn't for that, Cap would probably be my number two um, because I love Cap. I love Steve. I love everything <laughs> he touches <laughs> or doesn't get to touch. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it definitely does set up Fury and um, Steve's relationship really well because, well, there's is that mutual respect. You just know that Steve is just always wary of Fury because, you know, the world is so different and wars are fought so differently than they, you know, in World War II. And so, and also Fury, just being Fury has this like, you know, mystery behind him. And you can tell that he's not always telling everything. And that's very different than Steve's approach, which is very like upfront. This is what I'm thinking, all that jazz. So I agree that it sets up their relationship very well. And then, you know, therefore, you know, therefore. <laughs> and then uh, that going on to uh, the Winter Soldier. So, yeah. Henceforth. Um. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm trying to be fancy. It's fine. It's okay. So I believe that that leaves us just, well, it leaves me just with one left. Yeah, I think. I think we both have the, the same one. <laughs> yes. So this is my number one. And that is Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow. And for so many reasons, I mean, the way we talked about Scarlett Johansson just blowing the roof off the place in Iron Man 2, even though the movie failed her. What I love about this scene is that it pulls this reversal on us where we're like, oh no, Natasha's trapped. What's going to happen? And then when it becomes clear that she is actually totally in control of the situation, it's both a shock to the other characters and to us. And, you know, the moment when she says to Coulson the line, um, he's giving me everything, is just <laughs> an iconic ScarJo line reading. We need you to come in. Are you kidding? I'm working. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. This moron is giving me everything. Yeah. And her little like sly smile where yeah. she's like, mm. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. It's so charming. And then it also, I think for me, shows an incredibly important emotionality when Coulson says Barton's been compromised and you just see her change. Gone is the the flare and the winking. It's just like, all right, I will be there. And then she kicks ass and gets out. Oh and it's yeah. It is it is why I am so excited for the Black Widow movie because if they do it well enough, like with that scene, with scenes that especially come with Winter Soldier and some other movies where you get the action spy hero comedy queen <laughs> in full form um it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie it is my absolute favorite introduction and it is what i want two hours of <laughs> in a solo movie um so whereas i don't know what number you have left because again numbers are hard <laughs> so i have her at two but honestly i would say her and loki are really more tied for number one um for all of the reasons that you said like it's just 
it takes everything from Iron Man 2 and just puts it into this perfect little scene where you're like, oh, thank God. Like, they finally are showing she's such a badass, like, one of the best spies ever. And she, you know, just when <laughs> the whole scene where she, the part where she tells Coulson to hold and then she just beats up the, the you know, the thugs. And, Col- and then it flashes to Coulson just on the phone hearing the like grunts and groans of the like other guys on the other end. And it just makes me laugh so hard every time. Um, and it, it just shows the, you know, the amazingness and perfection that is Black Widow. Um, so yeah, really, I have it as two, but really it's tied for one. Well, I'm glad that we can finish our rankings on a, a note of agreement. <laughs> But it is. It's. I feel like we tend to agree on a uh, Black Widow. We do. So, yeah. There's. You know. There's not a lot of divergence <laughs> there, which is great. Um, and I guess I would remiss if I didn't notice that Scarlett Johansson looks stunning in that scene as she does oh, yes. in this entire movie. Um, the hair situation is a lot better than the wig, which was rough in Iron Man Two, and yeah. uh, that's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just, I mean, I, in this movie too, I think, right, we get to, we'll get to this as we talk more, and maybe this is a good transition, actually, out of talking about each of these characters and their openings into more as we see them come together. Um, but one of the things that's interesting for me is seeing them in all their super suits together, and you get this feeling of, oh yeah, some of them have gotten some updates, like Cap looks a little different, and Tony's obviously doing work, and you see every character gets to have kind of a honing of how they look and how they operate. Um, Thor still looks a little hokey, but that's okay. They get better as we go on. (laughs) Um, But I think after this kind of, I think I said domino effect already, but I'll use it again, this domino effect of introductions where we see them go, we see them get brought together, and then they end up on the helicarrier. And which is where we spend a really good chunk of the movie, which I had kind of forgotten <laughs> that... I forget it every time. Yeah, that... I, I just forget. I know it's up there, but then, I mean, we spent... I didn't track it, but I feel like we spent about 40 minutes in and around the Helicarrier in some way, and... At least. <laughs> yeah, it's... Because in my head, you think of it as so much more just, like, action, 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 and obviously there's action on the Helicarrier, but... So many scenes in this movie are people in rooms talking. And yeah. it's kind of remarkable that a movie that is 50% people in the rooms talking made $1.5 billion <laughs> worldwide. <laughs> um, but on that, I mean, what we've talked a little bit about it because people were interacting before this, but seeing the whole Avengers team and supporting characters interact fully which is, in a lot of ways, the point of this movie. It's to say, hey, we have all these folks on their own, but you want to see them together, we want to bring them together. How do you think they did? Do you feel like it was seamless? Do you feel like there were hiccups? I mean, what is your take on bringing them together? Um, I think it did a really... I think it did a pretty good job of setting up all of the dynamics and kind of bringing everyone together. Again, well, we talk about this a lot and we'll continue to talk about this, but Thor's 
Thor doesn't really get justice in any of the movies until, even including the Avengers movies, until Ragnarok. Um, and so I feel like his, you know, Thor in that movie is kind of, as as big of a part he plays, he's kind of forgettable. Like, you don't really always remember that he's there. Whereas the other characters are all very there, and you know, and they have such presence. Um, and they all have great lines, and I feel like Thor really, really doesn't have that many great lines in this movie. Um, and yeah, I think, particularly I would say, I think Tony, I really think RDJ just absolutely kills it in yeah. this movie, as he oh, does absolutely. literally every movie. Um, but, you know, his dynamics with Bruce and how, you know, he pokes fun at Bruce and he's like kind of trying to get Bruce to turn into the Hulk, but also is like very much on the same level, like intellectually and very much like respects Bruce and like really appreciates having someone around that can speak the same, you know, language essentially. And then, you know, you get the continuing of Tony and, um, and, uh, Nat's relationship um from the second iron man but i think steve and tony it really sets up steve and tony's relationship so well um where they're just such different people and they think things so differently like you know, <laughs> tony is the as he says he is one of the most quotable i i say this all the time but he is a genius billionaire playboy the lamp the philanthropist I can't speak um and whereas Cap is kind of just like yeah I'm just I'm Cap and I am going to do whatever I can to help others and it just really sets up their relationship as kind of the two leaders um for the rest of the movies uh and yeah I just think that dynamic is so good off the bat and I'm very grateful for their chemistry as you could say <laughs> yeah i completely agree and i think that i think one of the master strokes of the writing and pacing is that it would have felt so cheap to me if it was like hey they're all together and they're best friends now um and in fact it's yeah. like yeah we have hotshot tony who is really in love with his own brilliance and, mm -hmm. you know, I think the way that, again, that he's talking about hacking into the shield system and he's going a million miles a minute to be like, yeah, Bruce, 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 we can do this, we can do this, but also like zaps him just to see what happens. <laughs> um, and, you know, Tony's just like, for somebody who becomes the de facto patriarch in a lot of ways of the Avengers team, he kind of feels like the annoying brother for a lot of this movie yeah. in the top. Yes, yes. And, you know, and you have Bruce is just like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? Um, and, you know, you don't have a lot of outward tension between him and Nat, but you just have their, like, steadiness of being like Natasha, <laughs> Tony, um, which is amusing. And, yeah, and like you said, the, the Cap-Tony divide that is here immediately I think is arguably the most important source of dramatic tension in the entire Marvel project mm -hmm. I think because right it is Cap is old school and Cap's arc is reconciling 
who he was and the world he lived in with who he is now and what the world is now. Whereas Tony's arc is really about growing up in a lot of ways. And so at this point, they're both, we've seen more of Tony's journey. We've seen more of the progress he's made. But as Cap says, right, you know, you're not the guy to lay it all down on the line. There's always a way out. Um, because it is. Tony is a guy in a mechanical suit with an incredibly important brain and heart and a lot of good, but he cakes that in just a lot of sardonic wit and self-hatred <laughs> and self-love. It's this, it's this very complicated mm -hmm. ride with Tony Stark. But, you know, Cap, Cap is a mm -hmm. little too earnest still. <laughs> and we love yeah. him, but this is still a little flag-waving from him and which sets up perfectly in other ways like of course Loki is the de facto villain of this movie but the true antagonist is the Avengers infighting with themselves <laughs> it is yeah. in so many ways that is what has to be overcome and I think that that's a brilliant conceit from the writing where yeah. if it was just like hey we got to fight Loki and fight the Chitari army that he's bringing through, it would just kind of be another boom, boom, blow it up movie in a lot of ways. And I think what elevates Avengers, for me at least, is that the majority of the time here is devoted to parsing out the tensions and the dynamics and how a team has to come together if they have any chance of doing anything worthwhile. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and it, it also kind of, I think we've touched on this, but it sets up their power struggle. Why shouldn't the guy let off a little steam? You know damn well why. Back off. Oh, I'm starting to want you to make me. Yeah. Big man in a suit of armor. Take that off. What are you? Genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. I know guys with none of that worth 10 of you. I've seen the footage. The only thing you really fight for is yourself. You're not the guy to make the sacrifice play, to lay down on a wire and let the other guy crawl over you. I think I would just cut the wire. Always a way out. You know, you may not be a threat, but you better stop pretending to be a hero. A hero? Like you? You're a laboratory experiment, Rogers. Everything special about you came out of a bottle. Steve is kind of just seen as, like, the plan maker and, like, the leader in terms of like when they're going out on missions, but then Tony's kind of more so the one who's like, all right, so uh, this is what we're actually going to do and kind of goes off on his own. And there's that constant battle between the two of them. I'm like, all right, so who's going to kind of give in and who's going to like let their ego lie? And a lot of the time it is Steve, um, at least early on. Um, so yeah, it does definitely set up that relationship very, very well. Totally. And I just, I have so much appreciation for these actors being able to come in and for a handful of them, right, having led their own movies and now accepting that, right, it's an ensemble. And mm -hmm. obviously, I think this, I think, and I'll get back to this later, this movie owes an incredible amount to the work that was done by the Lord of the Rings movies to introduce the idea of a 21st century blockbuster franchise that relies on 
big name actors interacting well with each other with huge personalities. And obviously this is a very different movie <laughs> than any of the Lord of the Rings movies. Um, but some of the beats of mm -hmm. bringing people together, this kind of the fellowship of the ring versus the Avengers and some of those same beats, um, because there's similarities between team up movies, but they do it particularly well in their version. And I think an X factor to that I've alluded to it already, but the Fury Hill Coulson trifecta of the shield presence over it is, mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Um, I apologize for disrespecting Maria Hill earlier by leaving her off the list, but Kobe <laughs> Smulders, Kobe Smulders does a lot with a very small role <laughs> in this movie. Um, I continuously think that the MCU deserves Maria Hill because they don't give her much to do. Um, but she holds her own against Samuel Jackson, who is just a towering figure in all sorts of ways. And mm -hmm. he rips off quip after quip after quote after quote in this movie. And I think a lot of that is just the creative team being like, we're going to let him run. Um, and <laughs> Having him be kind of the Bad News Bears coach figure to the Avengers who are fighting, and he's just there like, get your fucking shit together. And the masterstroke of him mercilessly manipulating them, which I know I'm jumping ahead for a moment, but to take the Coulson cards um, is brilliant because, of course, we see in that first action sequence how disjointed they are. And what happens? And obviously some of that in terms of effects does look a little dated, but not, I think, in any dramatic way that takes away from it. Um, and as an, it extends so much of the character dynamic. So what did you make of this first kind of Avengers battle sequence when they have to fend off Clint and the other Loki-controlled goons that are trying to take over the helicarrier? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's there are parts of it that I really like, and then there are parts where I'm kind of like, "Hey, eh, we could lose this." Um, like the whole, like just having the Hulk come out, and like you know Thor coming in and just showing that the two of them are very matched when it comes to their strength and abilities. Um, but then also showing, you know, Nat. And how she's literally terrified of the Hulk and how that sets up so much for the rest of the, you know, uh, movies. Um, but then there's a whole kind of part where Steve and Tony are working together to fix the engine. And while it shows that they can work together and kind of sets up their teamwork and ability to get over their own shit and get, like, get it done. It's it's kind of a forgettable scene in my in my. Um, opinion because I don't know it's it, not much is going on and it's really just like Steve getting shot out and then almost flying out of the helicarrier and then Tony getting beat up by the engine like I don't know I feel like there there isn't much there I would say um but again just the Hulk Nat and and then Nat and Clint going at it and Nat being able to like knock Clint back into being true Clint um, is also just so great and how she's able to like she's literally shivering and she's so scared but she's able to pull herself together and be like 
I got to do this. Like I'm here, I'm going to get it done. Um, yeah. So parts that I like, parts that I don't like, you know, all around kind of <laughs> how I feel about all of the movies, you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. it's fascinating. So I, I completely agree on everything that has to do with Nat. I think that the sequence when Bruce is starting to turn into the Hulk and Nat is trying to hold it together is just 10 out of 10 in terms of ScarJo nailing it, Ruffalo really channeling the pain of being the Hulk in that sequence after it's been alluded to for so long um, to have it finally come out. And where I start to disagree is that I could use about five less minutes of Thor and Hulk. Um, I think for me, watching them just smash things and throw things at each other gets really boring visually after a while because it's all this kind of grayscale stuff happening. Um, whereas I love the Tony Cap stuff. Uh, I think it's because of the little moments when they're arguing about, you know, how do we talk about this? And Cap's like, well, it seems to run on some sort of electricity. And <laughs> I think that works for me a little more. Whereas I'm really glad we get established that Thor and Hulk are matched and it sets up some great parts later in the final battle of New York. So in that way, I'm like, yeah, it's important. It's there in some ways, but it is, I think a sequence it's not one of the more accomplished battle sequences in the MCU. And I think it has some of that, the plot mechanics show in it where you're like, okay, we're getting this rewatching it. Like, okay, we're getting this because this has to be set up for down the line in this movie. And we need to have this so that we get a sense of X, Y, Z. And it's only when Thor and Loki are talking before Loki dumps him out of the containment unit and then kills Coulson that I think the sequence fully comes together for me. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's, it's a really, I remember being crushed when he stabbed Coulson because Coulson's just a ray of fucking sunshine in this Marvel universe. And, and it, I think in that way, it doesn't save the sequence. The sequence is still, I think, quite clunky, um, but it gives it an important note to end on, which is like, yeah, they need to come together on something and we need to feel this. It needs to be a character that we also get this like, fuck, somebody beat the shit out of Loki. Um, and it's also part of the reason that my, uh, I don't have the same love for the Loki redemption arc. <laughs> But I still appreciate it. We'll get into that yes. later. Um, yes. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it, that sequence from when Clint and company attack to until the Coulson death is for me the most forgettable part of the movie. And it's unfortunate, but then we get through it. And the aftermath is so interesting mm -hmm. and so so much better paced i think um i know do you agree do you have different thoughts on how we get through the the kind of colson death and 
inciting moment? No, I feel like I. I mean, I would disagree that it's. I. It's definitely not the more forgettable part for me. Um, like I definitely, when I think of the Avengers, I think of the final New York battle scene, which we'll get to, and kind of that the the scene where they're all together just before Clint um attacks and like they're all arguing and stuff um I think those are two very kind of the contrast between the two um but again I guess yeah that is before Clint actually attacks um so yeah I guess most of it is pretty forgettable I think about it but I still I still enjoy it like I it's not something it's not a scene where I like want to fast forward through you know yeah, it might just be because I've seen it so many times, but I definitely was like, okay, I'm going to open Twitter now <laughs> while I was rewatching no, it. No, <laughs> the disrespect. I know, but I will say that after that point, I'm locked in for the rest of the movie. Um, yeah. And I think that the kind of gearing up, teaming up, where they're still not a team yet, but they are united by the fact that once they locate the Tesseract, they know where Loki's going and generally what's going to happen, that there is a momentum that builds and sustains through to the end. And I do think that at times, kind of the obligatory final battle in some of the Marvel movies, I'm like, okay, there's a lot of CGI explosion. And but I do think that this one sets a really nice bar for it in that we'll build up to it, but it is very well paced and the stakes continuously raise throughout the battle. So it's not just like we're in and it's there and then it's just through to the end. <laughs> um, yeah. And... I would be remiss if I didn't touch on one of my favorite Steve Rogers lines in the movie when <laughs> they commandeer the jet and the pilot's like, you're not supposed to be on here. And Steve goes, son, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's great, like, old man Steve energy. Yeah, Grandpa Steve comes out full force. <laughs> and it's great. And I mean, then they just... They arrive in New York, and that sequence begins. Um, I don't think I'm passing over anything remarkably important, but I might be missing something. Before we talk about the Battle of New York, is there anything that I have failed to flag up that you would like to uh, remind me of? I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, I feel like the transition from Coulson dying to them like stealing the jet is pretty quick. Um, like, I feel like, yeah, there's a little bit in between where, you know, Fury's manipulating them into, you know, thinking that they have to um, fight together. But, yeah, that's really it. I don't think there's, you're not, I don't think you're missing anything. Wonderful. Really. I, w I will add the addendum to that, that I know there are a lot of articles and a lot of comments on the interwebs about whether or not Nick Fury should have manipulated them whether there was another way. And I'm here to say there was a master stroke of emotional manipulation and I give Nick Fury a gold star for recognizing 
how that was going to go. Could I have used a little more pause to mourn Phil Coulson? Probably. (laughs) Um, But then again, he was revived in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so Marvel at the time must have known it wasn't the final goodbye for people who had watched the show and passed it along. So franchise franchise wheels sometimes uh, reveal themselves. But then, of course, we arrive at the Battle of New York. And as far as consequential events in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I feel like as we're completing Phase 1, this is the event that really defines the Phase 2 movies that come after it, um, especially for Tony, especially for Cap. Um, and then just starts to have the questions going about how should the Avengers operate? How should the world respond to them? Um, But then, of course, it's also just a very well-executed battle sequence. And, I mean, the the first in the Marvel sequence of it, but the the time-honored entry of New York getting blown to hell in an action movie. Uh, They're really channeling a lot of 80s movies in that. It's like, ah, more dynamite. We'll take another skyscraper down. Um. (laughs) Being from New York, those scenes always stress me out so much. Like, just knowing that if something like that were to ever actually happen in real life, it would be New York, because when is it not? And that's not being, like, narcissistic about New York. It's just that is New York. Of course, though, before we get to the actual fighting in the Battle of New York, we have one of the most enjoyable and iconic scenes in the film, which is the kind of tete-a-tete showdown between Loki and Tony at the Stark Tower. Please tell me you're going to appeal to my humanity. Uh, Actually, I'm planning to threaten you. (laughs) You should have left your armor on for that. Yeah. Seen a bit of mileage, and you've got the uh, glow stick of destiny. Do you like a drink? Stalling me won't change anything. No, no, no. Threatening. No drink, you sure? I'm having one. Vegetaria coming. Nothing will change that. What have I to fear? The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves, sort of like a team. I can't say enough about it, so before I start rambling, what what are your thoughts on this scene? Because I know it also holds a very special place in your heart. <laughs> um, I think this scene is just like perfect RDJ doing full Tony and then Tom Hiddleston doing full Loki and just kind of just going, going like, you know, ugh, geez, I can't speak. Um, just going so hard and just just going for it um and it's just so quotable too like there are just so many funny moments um yeah it's other than the quotes i there's there's only so much i can say because it's just so good (laughs) yeah i mean the tony showing up making himself a drink and (laughs) just kind of having this like yeah i'm in i'm at my home i'm gonna be kind of chill about this and then I love how he runs through the Avengers team. But let's do a head count here. Your brother, the demigod, a super soldier, living legend who kind of lives up to the legend, a man with breathtaking anger management issues, a couple of master assassins, and you, 
Big fella. You've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. There's just something wonderful about having two narcissists on different points <laughs> in their journeys of self-discovery just going against each other and having this like, oh yeah, we're about to blow the city up. But before we do that, we're going to let you enjoy some prime scene chewing. Um, and then, I mean, it turns pretty quickly into the battle from there when Tony goes out the window and we have a little Jarvis. We get your obligatory Paul Bettany moments, um, which we are contractually obligated to talk about because of Teddy's love for Paul Bettany. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then we really, we launch in to the battle and I, the way I think of this battle is this wonderful rhythm of when we start this moment, you know, the Avengers kind of land, but then they get separated and they're all kind of in their own moments of sorting through, okay, the Chitauri are coming. How do we do this? And it's scattered. And then to the moment you talk about when they're all together there is this kind of midpoint. And then they separate again, but they separate as teammates figuring out a plan. And that kind of rhythm mm -hmm. of separate, together, embark is such a smart way to structure it I think because along the way we get each of them having their kind of solo moments to be a hero in the battle and then we also get all these great bits of like okay we're going to team these two people up for a thing right here and then we're going to let them go do this other thing um, and there are so many moments to talk about and we couldn't possibly cover all of them but what are some of your favorite moments from the battle? What are things that stand out to you as particularly effective? Whether it's a stunt, a line, an exchange, just lay them on me. Um, okay, so the scene that makes me laugh so hard every single time that I think about in my head like all the fucking time is after Thor and the Hulk take down the big, you know, alien whale thing. And they're just kind of in Grand Central, just kind of standing there, breathing heavily after they've done this. And it takes about two beats, and then Hulk just out of nowhere punches Thor. <laughs> and it just makes me laugh so hard every time, because it's just like classic, again, setting up Thor and the Hulk slash Bruce's relationship. Um, <laughs> it's just so funny every time. Um also, I'm gonna before Steve. before we okay. move from that moment. I have to. I'm glad you brought that one up because that is the thing, honestly, that makes me think the most about Lord of the Rings, and specifically the relationship between Legolas and Gimli, and this yes. like they're constantly competing. <laughs> yeah. And in my head, I always just hear Gimli in that moment being like, "It still only counts as one," when they're fighting. <laughs> um, yeah. And obviously, it's very different, but I think that in terms of kind of nods to how you handle an ensemble in a big battle. That seems to be something that the Marvel team took directly and did really well to be like, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to have Hulk and Thor be this kind of like, it even works with like 
Thor has the long blonde hair, so there's some Orlando Bloom stuff. But then, of course, like, you know, as opposed to being the dwarf that Gimli is, you got Hulk is just giant. But it's still kind of that gruff thing. So it works really well and is also a moment that I love. Um, but I will then cede the floor again because you were starting to roll. So thank you for letting me interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's such an important scene. Um, so then the next you know, scene that really stands out in my head is um, it's it's basically the whole running from when we first see the six of them together and it does that kind of circular um, shot as the Jatari are like on, you know, taking over and they're all just like looking all stoic and like badass. Um, and then, you know, Steve kind of goes into telling everyone what they should do and he you know, he goes on and on, and then he ends with just looking at Hulk and saying, and Hulk pauses for a couple seconds, and he just goes, smash, and Hulk's like, yeah, and then he just, like, jumps into the air and, like, starts, like, destroying all of these Chichari. Um, It's just so good. Honestly, a lot of my um, my favorite scenes in this movie revolve around the Hulk. <laughs> I don't know why, but they just do. Um and I'll just talk about one more and then I'll let you, you know, speak. Even though, you know, I could talk on and on. Um, so again, another Hulk moment, which is when Hulk um, and Loki are going at it in Stark Towers. And, you know, Hulk kind of throws Loki and then he's going towards yes. him to kind of beat him up. And, you know... Uh, Loki says like stop like I am a god like blah 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 and then all of a sudden out of nowhere <laughs> the Hulk just grabs Loki by the leg and just starts smashing him around into the ground I am a god you dull creature and I will not be bullied by that It's just so good. And also a really fun fact about that scene that just makes it that much better is that apparently Tom Hiddleston told um, production that he didn't want to know when he was going to be pulled so that it would make it that much more realistic. So basically he's just like, I think he has more of like that line continues on, but that's kind of where they decided to pull him. And so his reaction is like a very true and like genuine reaction which i think just makes it that much better um and when i learned that fun fact it just made me so happy <laughs> i never knew that and i love that i know it now because mm -hmm. yeah i mean that is obviously it's a joke that gets touched back on throughout the mcu in terms of loki's mm -hmm. feelings about hulk um it's great it's an incredible moment <laughs> <laughs> and i think it is i think to what you're saying too there is one of the accomplishments of this battle sequence for me is that it's, it's very emotionally loaded, but at the same time, there are so many hilarious, memeable, memorable moments that give it this great, apart from the rhythm, I already pointed out of kind of the overall scope, you get these beats where you get, okay, we're going to see people blowing up these kind of faceless aliens, and then we're going to get to a funny moment, and then we're going to have some more action. Um, 
But yeah, so I mean, I loved all the moments you touched on. I think also for me, in terms of kind of these three sections of the battle, the early part, the mid thing, and then the end, I, I love from the beginning just seeing everyone get to have their I'm going to show off my power sort of moment. Um, and that's less of a favorite moment and more of a just vibe. But my favorite sequence of the whole thing is when they are all before we get that circle moment where they're around, you have that square gets to be a focused thing where Clint and Natasha are like, ah, it's like Budapest. And then Clint's like, you and I remember Budapest very differently. And we see their friendship show off. And then this moment that remains one of the most iconic for me when just very flawlessly Tony drops down, shoots his laser off of Cap's shield and just decimates a bunch of the Chitari. It's just those little moments of the team up that work so well. Um, and then, you know, when Cap's shouting out orders more and Natasha's like, yeah, and Thor's, Thor's fighting a bunch down on second or whatever she says. And then Tony's like, and he didn't invite me. Mm-hmm. It's everyone gets to have their personality shine through during the battle. And I can't talk enough to the success I think that they manage to linger on everyone in that way. Do we have a bear interruption? Yeah. Hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> you muted your. Can you hear me? Sorry. There's a saying that he just stuck his head under my arm. Okay, sorry. Incredible. Um, because it would have been so easy for this battle to just be cutting quickly between here's another explosion when Iron Man shoots something and then here's Clint putting an arrow through someone and here's this and here's that. But by giving people personality moments alongside battle moments, it functions as a deepening of their teams. And then when they do get to go off as teammates near the end, you feel like, fuck yeah, the Avengers are here. It's not just, oh, Iron Man's here and Thor's also there and whatever. It's the Avengers have arrived. And we haven't touched enough, but Alan Silvestri's score and introducing the Avengers theme that becomes so incredibly iconic throughout the series and getting to hear it swell as we go around them. You're like, there's the hero moment. It's we've built, we've waited to see how are they going to come together? How are they going to make this happen? And it feels so organic because they find themselves together in the battle. Um, and I fucking love it. Yeah, the music is huge. I literally just have, like, I literally wrote in my notes, like, the first scene of the six of them together with the music chills. Like, it's just, and as you said, the music becomes such a big part and of the rest of the movies. And, you know, it just is, yeah, basically everything you said. Yeah, and we have to put some shine on uh, Alan Silvestri, who is an iconic composer. Everyone listening to this podcast, whether or not you know it, you know his scores. He did Back to the Future. He did the only part of Forrest Gump that is worth talking about, which is the score, because everything else about that movie is a garbage dumpster fire unworthy of 
anything. Um, but Alan Silvestri's score kicks some good ass. And he's just a guy who people call on when they need a memorable bit. And he did the music for Captain America the First Avenger, which had the only great score music in the other Marvel movies. And so he comes on and he sticks around. He did the Endgame score, so he's around in the MCU. But I feel like his most lasting impact is giving us this theme um, Mm -hmm. and giving that chills moment, which then, you know, we get these quips, we get these battle moments, Steve telling the police what they have to do, which is another great moment. Um, And then, of course, leads up to, because we're getting these cutaways of the helicarrier, that the Security Council is going to nuke New York to stop the Chitauri and... You know, the stakes have been rising, but when Fury calls in and says there's a missile coming and Tony goes for it, mm-hmm. it's it's in the way that we talked about that, you know, Tony and Steve are really the beating hearts of the whole Infinity Saga. And we've seen Tony through two movies start to try and become a selfless hero and a lot of that is Cap being like, you know, you'll, you're not the one to lay yourself on the line. You get it set up. You get that tension set up. And then Tony grabs the nuke. And I don't know about you, but I remember watching it for the first time and being like, oh, my God, are they going to kill Iron Man? <laughs> well, no, I didn't have that thought because all the other movies had already come out. So I was like, oh, they don't kill him. He somehow has to come back. So, you know, it kind of ruined that bit but still i think there was definitely still like a little part of me that was like oh but what like what's about to happen also just before we move on from this scene you totally forgot one of nick fury's most iconic lines when he basically tells the council to fuck off and he says i recognize the council has made a decision but given that it's a stupid ass decision i've elected to ignore it iconic (laughs) like just perfect just chef kiss perfect i apologize Anyways, you can continue deeply. i just had to we yes. could not we could not forget about that line <laughs> no and i apologize to nick fury and the marvel gods for almost glossing over it because that is the <laughs> most samuel l jackson of samuel l jackson moments in really this is. movie and it also you know, i think it's important that it shows that even though nick fury has made these decisions to try and make weapons out of the tesseract and all of this he is he does have this moral center of we're not going to nuke new york um and setting it up then for tony to grab it and you know the great line of like there's nuke incoming and i know just where to put it um Mm -hmm. it's this whole thing and it to me i don't know about you but that's the moment where because we i'm so glad we got two movies even though iron man 2 was a mess of seeing tony mature and develop Mm -hmm. and even though he was still kind of the annoying little brother at the start of this we know that he's had so much growth and development so that when he takes that nuke you feel it Mm -hmm. because it's this tony is choosing to not do this because it's the flashy heroic thing to do it's because it is what needs to be done Mm -hmm. yeah it's not out of nowhere like you it's very plausible that this is kind of his next step yeah. And then when he, going through the wormhole, sending the nuke through, I mean, that becomes such a deeply emotionally changing moment for him. And mm-hmm. 
we'll get to why we love Iron Man 3 soon, but, you know, the way they deal with the trauma that comes from, you know, going through a wormhole and setting off a nuke and almost <laughs> fucking dying, um, it becomes deeply important to his character, and so I'll put a pin in that for Iron Man 3, but just the moment of everyone watching him fall, wondering if he's going to come through and thinking for a moment. And again, I can talk to me being in the theater for the first time and not really having any experience. I mean, there was no franchise like this in my you know, early teenage years where you didn't think, oh yeah, he's going to be alive. It's going to be fine. Um, I, thought they, I thought they might kill him. And it was terrifying as a 17-year-old being like, no, I can't lose Tony Stark now. And obviously they don't. And you get this great moment when the Hulk pounds the ground and wakes him up after everyone has a truly emotional, like, oh my God, is Tony not okay mm -hmm. thing. But then him being like, what happened? Did someone kiss me? <laughs> but also I feel like when Hulk jumps up to catch Tony, yeah. it also is kind of the start of seeing Hulk as not just this, you know, destructive, violent being that has no kind of self like you know no control and in that moment you kind of see oh wait like he is a part of the team like he does know who not to hurt and who to hurt um and that's a huge moment for him for sure yeah huge and it just it ties everything together so nicely there and i just think that it's such a well-executed battle sequence and even to this day, ranks for me pretty highly among the ones that Marvel pulls off. And I think is a great dress rehearsal for what they do, like in terms of the big final battle sequences, right? I think there are, mm -hmm. are a lot of better, smaller fights and bits mm -hmm. that work better. But in terms of the kind of climactic moment of the film like that, it's right up there for me with how they pull off a similar thing in Endgame, how they pull off a similar thing in Infinity War. You know, it's... It's incredible as an accomplishment, especially because in the Marvel world, they hadn't done it yet. <laughs> and that's pretty crazy. And I mean, the movie wraps up relatively quickly from there. We get mm -hmm. this kind of news ca cameras going and clips to this. We get the Stan Lee cameo. We get the feature of the waitress who doesn't really fit in and just kind of feels stilted and forced in, but whatever. I keep expecting her to like, become something and yeah. then she's just not <laughs> yeah it seems like they probably shot a lot more with her than it got cut to the editing room floor but like hey whatever um and it's just a wonderful way to see them all you know steve's going off on his motorcycle tony's driving away in the car thor and loki go back it it feels like we get a beat with everyone to be like okay they're going off in their directions Mm -hmm. And with Nick Fury's voiceover being like, in the security council, like, well, what happens when we need him again? They're like, well, yeah. they'll be there because we need them to be. It sets up phase two so perfectly in all the movies that are to come. Yeah. Like, it just, it sets it up so perfectly. Yeah. But then, of course, because it's a Marvel movie, they don't end. And we haven't really lingered on after credit scenes at all on this podcast. But I feel like the two that exist... Mm -hmm. And Avengers require comment because yeah. they are iconic for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, for the first one, 
which in the reveal is Thanos, who we don't know is pulling the strings at this point. Um, you want to talk about a chills moment. Me in the theaters watching that for the first time. Knowing some of the comic book history, and my lore has deepened since then, but knowing who Thanos was, and knowing that in the comic, comments, ooh, knowing in the comics, his whole thing is that he's in love with death and is trying to convince the personification of death to fall in love with him. So to have the final line of that scene be, to fight the humans is to court death, and then have Thanos smile, it was just like, oh my god. Wow, that adds so much to that scene that I just, wow, yeah. <laughs> that makes it so much better. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is the first of many moments in the after credits that start to set up the lore of the bigger Infinity Saga. And, right, it's one that, like, if you don't know the Thanos stuff, it's like, fuck, who's this purple face guy? He seems powerful and important. Um, and you'll go Google him and that. But then, right, if you know it and you're like, holy shit, the big bad is coming. Well, yeah, you kind of know, oh, I have to remember this guy. Like, I yeah. have to, he's going to be big. Like, I have to remember who he is. Yeah. Um, so we have that. And then, of course, the final after credit scene <laughs> is just like any good Little League team that's been through a lot together. It's just the Avengers getting a snack getting shawarma and it is such a great <laughs> they're just chilling yeah. um and apparently my my behind the scenes half-assed research was uh i've heard over the years and did confirm that that wasn't initially going to happen but then rdj was like hey we got my shawarma line maybe we should have them together <laughs> we should do it and it was a reshoot, so they got everyone back together mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. after they had wrapped to be like, ah, let's just do this. And I love mm -hmm. the idea of them being like, we're going to tack on another million dollars to this movie mm -hmm. to get this 20-second scene of the Avengers eating shawarma. It's like, mm -hmm. that's, that is how you commit to the bit. Yeah. And also, I... I have somebody, I have a couple of fun facts about that. But the reason that you, one fun fact is that the reason you don't really see Chris Evans' face is because he was already starting to grow a beard for another role he was playing, which is why he, you don't really see him that much. And also, this isn't really a fun fact, but more just something I noticed for the first time after having watched this movie, you know, I don't even want to admit how many times, is that you can actually there's a scene i forget exactly when it is but tony is i think it's right after tony gets like thrown onto the ground and if you pause you can actually see shawarma palace in the background and it's just like so perfect and something that you wouldn't see unless you looked for it and then it just ties together so well and also just the fact that tony when he comes back to life like the one of the first things he's like talking about is like oh shawarma i've always wanted to try that like it's just the bit is so good and like i just want to thank whoever came up with it like thank you whoever thought that, that was a good idea like thank you yeah yeah i mean it's it encapsulates in so many ways how 
this tone of Marvel being like the stakes are big, the emotions are big, but also we're really goofy. And, you know, I know some people who watch these movies don't like that. I, for one, love it. I don't need all of my movies to be deeply gut-wrenching and dark. I like those. I think they're important, and a lot of them are incredibly artistic, but you don't always need that. And the goofiness is great. And to whoever added shawarma to the goofiness of this movie, we love you. We appreciate you. And thank you. So we thought about leaving it there on shawarma, but realizing in our reflecting on what we missed, we didn't set aside time more distinctly to talk about Loki as a villain because obviously Loki already functioned as the villain in some ways in Thor and so he comes back and he remains one of these long-running characters in the saga and so we realized it probably felt important to talk a little bit about him as a villain especially because as I've noted before the Marvel movies tend to have an issue with villains and that they are not the most compelling parts of the movies. And as I said earlier, right, the, the big villain of this is the Avengers in fighting. But Loki still has to bear his weight and work as a functional antagonist. And when we talk about his quips and his smarminess and all of that, there is more to him as a villain. And so from your perspective... Teddy, putting aside for the fact that you would just like to be ravished by the one and only Tom Hiddleston, how does <laughs> how do you think Loki chalks up as a villain in this movie? So I think he's actually a pretty great villain in this movie. Um, and there are a couple of theories about why he does what he does that will that we can talk about in a little bit, um, but. I think he has that perfect, like, I'm going to take over the world and I don't care what it takes. And also teaming up with, like, other bad guys and being able to just – his ability to get what he wants is very – he's very successful at it. Um, other than, you know, at the end when the Avengers, you know, beat him. But, you know, they had to. But other than that, throughout the whole movie, you're kind of thinking, oh, wow, like, Loki's actually doing really well. Um, like, he's really thought this through. He's very clever, very smart. Um, so, yeah, I think he functioned as a pretty good villain um, during this movie. But obviously, I have my issues with calling him a villain. But we can talk about that after you tell me to you tell us what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I for me the reason that he works so well as a villain comes down to one sequence more than anything, um, which is a, a period of the movie that <laughs> we kind of breezed over um, at the top, and I'm glad we're coming back to, which is when they're in Stuttgart, Germany, and they're at the opera because they need to break in and get a special element for Dr. Selvig. And Hiddleston in full opera regalia walking through like a Bond villain 
and then plunging his thing into the guy's eye on the marble <laughs> table is just it has a brutality to it that hasn't really been present in the Marvel movies before this. And obviously they cut away mm -hmm. so you don't see what would undoubtedly be a spurting amount of blood out of this guy's face. But at the same time, you can see Loki relish it. Yeah, his little smirk is yeah. so perfect. And it's, it's I mean, it's, it's true villain, I don't care, I want what I want energy. And in that way, I think he is the most spine tingling of the villain so far which like you know he's not a horror character we don't get that far in the marvel movies but he's about as close as we've gotten up to this point in the cinematic universe as of the avengers coming out um and then the moment when he steps outside and he screams at the people to kneel and you see this megalomaniacal energy that obviously steve then equates to the nazi regime and to have the man who is obviously kind of the older German who seems to be a survivor of the Nazi regime. You have the echoes there. And I think that that sets Loki up in this moment incredibly well to be a source of evil. And of course, his attempts to sow discord in the Avengers and do it well and then kill Phil Coulson, he has these powerful villain moments that are emotional they're unsettling and Hiddleston sells it really well um, even when we don't necessarily get as many dark moments later in the movie when it's more played for laughs or played for lighter drama um, the early stage I think sets it up well and I think that a lot of that is why and because of the failures of Thor The Dark World, which we'll get to. Um, a lot of that is why I have never been fully sold on Loki as being redeemed from his villainous ways, because I think that later movies, especially Thor The Dark World, try to kind of varnish it over a little bit. And I think if that movie had been better and had done more with his character, which we'll get to. Um, I think I could have moved on from this a little, but he gets so dark in this movie that mm -hmm. I don't know. We'll see on the rewatch if I feel differently, but that's something I've kind of chewed on over the years when it comes to Loki. Mm -hmm. So as I kind of mentioned before, an interesting theory that I heard about on TikTok, and I don't know how much truth there is to it, but a lot of people think that the reason that Loki kind of goes full villain is because he's actually under the influence of the Mind Stone. Um, and while I do like kind of believe it, it's not as obvious an answer to me where you know yes his eyes kind of are bluish but you don't know if that's just because he's that's just the color of his eyes like he doesn't have the full out like piercing blue eyes that like clint and um the other people who are under the mind uh the mind stone control um have so because and also because 
at the end when Thor and Loki are going at it and Loki, Thor kind of, I don't know, throws Loki pretty hard. He kind of has this moment where he looks around and he's like, what is going on? And he kind of realizes like, oh shit, what have I done? Um, so that's an interesting theory that I think definitely complicates things a lot and kind of, to me, is why it makes so much sense that he goes so full-on like bad in this movie and then in the future movies which we'll talk about he doesn't go as far even you know not even really close to as far i would say um so yeah that's just a fun little theory that i heard that i thought i would share that's a good one i honestly hadn't reflected on that one before and I mean, I think it's interesting. I think Loki is a fascinating character, whether or not I agree with how his arc has always been handled. Um, it is why also I'm incredibly excited for the Loki TV show because of where it's said is that it's the, it is the lo version of Loki that exists in the timeline right after this movie ends. And so we get to see him be that version and maybe work through things in a slightly different way where we get some more space for that. And I love Tom Hiddleston. I think he does a great job with the character whenever, regardless of what he's given, um, he's always memorable. And for that, I think that I'm very glad he's in this movie the way he is and that he's a part of the Marvel project to this day and hopefully Loki will just be a great show and we'll get more time and interest in his kind of the moral gray area that is Loki the trickster god. Hello everyone and welcome to the end of the episode in the Avengers and also to the end of phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We won't be lingering too much because this is already a long episode, but we've come to a turning point in the movies and going into phase two, the concerns and the goals of what these movies have to say become different. So uh, Teddy, any final thoughts on phase one before we say goodbye to it? Um. I'm happy that phase one happened, but I'm glad we're finished with it. Um, obviously, it did have its, you know, gems with, you know, the first Captain America and then I would say the Avengers too. But I'm just, I think as you said in one of the previous podcasts, it's very nice to be done with the growing pain kind of part of Marvel. Um, and I'm very ready to be on to bigger and better things. <laughs> I could not agree more. Amen to that. And uh, the first bigger and better thing we are moving on to next week is Iron Man 3, which, uh, again, all you haters out there who don't like Iron Man 3, um, prepare to have your wrong opinion confronted because Iron Man 3 rocks. And this is a pro Iron Man 3 podcast, and we will share all of those happy thoughts next week as we fall into a once a week format because once again we're going to cherish the movies instead of powering through them so until that time thank you friends talk soon to challenge them is to court death
thank you everyone for listening. If you liked what you heard or are interested in what else we do at Portland Film Review, make sure to head over to social media. You can find us on Instagram at Portland underscore film underscore review, on Twitter at Portland underscore film, on Facebook at Portland Film Review, and of course at our website, portlandfilmreview.com. If you really like this episode and want to make sure you don't miss any future PFR Weekly episodes or MCU and Review limited series shows, go follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you might listen. While you're there, give us a follow and maybe even a rating. We like to hear good things, but if you want to say something mean, at least make it creative. <laughs>